Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Amen. Word of God for our meditation this evening is found in John, the Gospel of John, chapter 13, verses 21 to 30, as printed in your bulletins and already read. Dear fellow disciples of Christ, King David knew a few things about betrayal. Ahithophel was a member of David's cabinet, important to the success of David's kingdom. He was a a close friend and a trusted advisor, a, a man who dined at David's table, a man David relied on, whose advice was blessed by God. Yet when David's son Absalom tried to take the kingdom for himself, Ahithophel joined Absalom's cause. The pain of that betrayal must have been particularly sharp. The chief of David's army, Joab, was another man that he relied on both before and during his reign as king. Joab was even a willing accessory in arranging the murder by Ammonite of Uriah the Hittite, who was inconveniently married to the woman David had adulterously impregnated. But Joab's loyalty to David ran out at the end when he tried to play kingmaker, backing Adonijah as David's successor instead of Solomon, who was David's and God's choice for king. Now, in a way, all that betrayal is not surprising. It's hard to think of a life more filled with drama than David's from his youth to his death. There are family tensions, marital troubles, assassination attempts, political intrigues, feigned insanity, life on the run, and not to mention actual fighting on the battlefield. Although it's unclear which false friend David was talking about, he prophetically expressed the pain of broken trust in Psalm 41. Even a man who was at peace with me, a man whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has raised up his heel to step on me. It really is hard to think of an emotional pain more biting than betrayal. We can expect rejection, duplicity, partisanship, posturing, even persecution and brutality from people that we don't know or have any connection to, but but we expect our friends and family to stick with and support us. When those we've relied on and shared our lives with betray our trust, we, we experience intense Pain, burning deep in the heart, scalding the soul. Now, of course, David was not the first person to be betrayed, and he wasn't the last either. And in this text from John, Jesus connects David's psalm of lament to his own betrayal by Judas. Like Joab and Ahithophel with David, Judas was close with Jesus. He was part of the inner circle, one of the twelve, a a trusted friend who had shared the ups and downs of Jesus' ministry. 
And as with those confidants of David, a time came when Judas lifted up his hands in betrayal. Parents have long used Bible names for their children. But since the rise of Christianity, no one names their kids Judas, for much the same reason that no one names their sons Adolf since the end of World War II. The name Judas is so synonymous with betrayer that many tend to think that he must have been distinctively evil or especially wicked from birth. Because how else could someone have done something like that to Jesus? Sure, it is true that Judas was sinful when he came out of the womb. But everyone is born sinful. Judas was just as innately corrupt as you or me or or any of the other disciples. Jesus called him to be one of the twelve. And Judas listened, followed, and went out as a missionary with the others and served alongside them. Earlier in John 13, we we see that Jesus washed Judas' feet, and and here he is with them all on that holy Thursday as they, they gathered to celebrate the Passover with Jesus one last time. But along with all of that, the Bible also tells us that Judas had a greedy heart. When Mary of Bethany anointed Jesus' feet with nard, an expensive perfume. It was worth an entire year's wages. And Judas was the leader in arguing that her act of devotion was a waste of money, that, that arguing that, that, that perfume should have been sold to, to help the poor. But the Holy Spirit lets us in on Judas's real motives. In John 12, we are told, he did not say this because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. He held the money box and used to steal what was put into it. Now, Satan knew about Judas's love of money, and he was eager to use that love for his evil purposes. Since Judas had already given in to temptation and treated the petty cash as his personal piggy bank, the devil could easily point to that and say, you got away with that, but don't you want more? And 30 pieces of silver from Christ's enemies was a very attractive more that overwhelmed everything else. Judas didn't have some kind of long-time plan to betray his master, nor did someone flip some switch that turned him from virtue to vice. It was garden-variety greed, unrepented and unchecked, that that corroded his soul over time and eventually put Judas's betraying hands at that table. John tells us, By the time the supper took place, the devil had already put the idea into the heart of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. Now, betrayal 
hurts so much because it's so personal. But another thing that makes betrayal so brutal is that it's done in secret so that when it comes, it is sudden and surprising. Judas had been living a a double life as both a disciple and a greedy thief. The rest of the twelve were fooled. They thought of him as a friend. They did not see the, the darkness in his heart or the corruption of his soul. But Jesus knew, and he used this holy Passover meal to reveal him. Amen, amen, I tell you, one of you will betray me. You know what it's supposed to be like at a special meal like like Thanksgiving. There is an understanding that everyone, young and old, is expected to keep the peace. No fighting, no insults, no snark or snide comments designed to get somebody riled up. A festive meal is no place for harsh words or hard feelings. But here, during one last celebration of God's deliverance of the Israelites from slavery, Jesus drops a bomb that brings instant tension to the room. The disciples react pretty much the same way everyone would react to such an announcement. The disciples were looking at each other uncertain which of them he meant. But when the disciples began to ask him, one by one, surely not I? Well, this was not merely defensiveness or denial. Jesus had said, one of you will betray me. And he had said it without giving a name. (laughs) And that forced each of the disciples to to ask himself if he could possibly turn on his master. We can almost hear the internal monologue. Is he talking about me? What does he see in me that I don't? He knows something about one of us that nobody else knows. Could he be talking about me? Am I capable of this? You and I should be asking the same kinds of questions of ourselves. What do you have hiding in your heart? Have you ever sold Christ out for money, or popularity, or comfort, or pride? Have your secret sins gone unrepented and unchecked for so long that they eat away at your faith and corrode your soul? Is greed the sin that is crouching at your door? Or is it something else that you fight to hide from everyone else? But the devil knows just how to use to bring you to your knees. Ask yourself honestly. Because tonight's message will do you no good if all you take away from it is that Judas was a bad guy. You know, no one wakes up in the morning determined to fail God. But we'd better know that we all are sinners and that sinners sin. Anyone is capable of any sin, especially if temptation and guilt are left unchecked and unaddressed. What does the all-knowing Jesus see when he looks in your heart? Will you say, 
Surely not I, Lord. Now as his truth grenade hung in the air, and the disciples scrambled to avoid blame, Peter signaled to John, who was sitting next to Jesus, Ask him who he's talking about. Jesus replied, It is the one to whom I will give this piece of bread after I have dipped it in the dish. Then he dipped the piece of bread and gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So why didn't Jesus deal with Judas more privately? Because the time for that had passed. Jesus was not harsh, and he didn't even call Judas out by name, but he made clear to Judas that he knew what Judas had in mind. By doing this in front of the other disciples, though most of them were apparently unaware of what exactly happened, Jesus was trying to use the discomfort of discovery to prick his betrayer's conscience so that he would repent and give up his plan. But this this was not the first time that the Master had warned him. Who knows how many times he might have done so that we're not told of in Scripture. But there were at least three times we do know of when, when Judas should have realized his mind and heart were known to Jesus and he should have changed his course. Once, after teaching about the bread of life, Jesus said, Did I not choose you, the twelve? Yet one of you is a devil. And just that same evening, when Jesus washed his disciples' feet, he said, You are clean, but not all of you. And now at the Passover table, Jesus dips his hands into the bowl with Judas's betraying hands. Jesus was reaching out to Judas. He was telling him, Resist Satan. Don't do it. Even to his own betrayer, Jesus showed a shepherd's soul-seeking love and concern right to the end. But Judas rejected Jesus and his gentle grace and instead betrayed him later that night with a corrupted kiss. And what did Jesus do with Judas? Well, he took his betrayer's sins with him to the cross. He bore and paid for those sins just as surely as he bore and paid for your and my sins. Indeed, we can even say that Jesus was treated as a traitor deserved to be treated. His own father forsook him turning away and and, and severing the bond that had tied him to his son from eternity. Because that that is how the all-holy God must treat the one who embodies the sin and treachery of all the world. We will hear at the cross as our Savior cries out in anguish, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? echoing words from another prophetic psalm of David. 
Christ suffered the pains of hell for our sins of greed, for our idolatrous love of money, for our foolish self-righteousness, and for every secret sin that we think we keep hidden. They have all been punished in full, and they've all been paid in full. As Isaiah says of Christ, by His wounds we are healed. And what came of all of this? Everyone's sins were forgiven on account of the sacrifice that Jesus made. But this greatest and most loving gift did not guarantee a happy ending for everyone. In acts of unbelieving despair, Ahithophel and Judas both took their own lives, reasoning that God could not truly forgive them or or give them hope. Joab meant a violent end as a consequence of his disloyalty. But all could have been forgiven. Every sin for any of them or us, because God did to His Son what should have been done to them or us. God, you see, never betrays sinners. Banish the thought that He would banish us for our sins and and don't let Satan or anyone else convince you otherwise. So don't ask how God could possibly love and forgive a traitor like Judas. Ask, how could God love and forgive a traitor like me? And then trust His answer in Christ. In Christ, God has reconciled the world to Himself, so you are at peace with Him. Your sins are all forgiven. Amen. May the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, both soul and body, be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who calls you is faithful. And he will do it. Amen.